bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Dragu. There was a hearing Wednesday during which the FBI director said that Hamas poses a major threat to Americans here at home. A bold Louisiana legislator, however, pointed out a more serious threat, the government. Also, Nebraska, of all places, just took a major step toward implementing digital IDs. We have those stories coming up. Plus, a conversation with Wisconsin State Legislator Ty Bodden, the only Republican to earn a perfect Freedom Index score this latest session. But first, San Francisco rolled out the red carpet yesterday for Chinese dictator Xi Jinping. The Chinese leader was in town to attend the APEC meeting of Pacific nations and to meet with Joe Biden. California governor and CCP fanboy Gavin Newsom welcomed China's leader at the airport. Then she and his entourage swept through the streets of the Bay City to a warm reception from San Francisco's Chinese American population, which was waving Chinese flags and welcoming him in Mandarin. But the real action of the day happened behind closed doors. Biden and Xi reportedly discussed issues ranging from America's fentanyl crisis, which is supported by the Chinese government, to growing military confrontations around Taiwan and in the South China Sea. Biden claims that he and Xi reached new agreements on fentanyl and intermilitary communication. But judging from the aftermath, however, Biden and Xi's differences were not ironed out. Right after the meeting finished, Biden accurately described Xi as a dictator. Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that is based on a form of government totally different than ours. Although the Chinese leader sounded conciliatory after the meeting, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson took a different tone. She warned the U.S. to stop supporting Taiwan and threatened that reunifying Taiwan with China is unstoppable. So join me to discuss today's stories as executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve. Hi, Steve. Steve Hi, Paul. Steve Bonta. I almost forgot your last name there. Um, so Biden calling Xi a dictator is like one of the first times I've ever heard or anything from Biden uh, that, that was accurate. Um, but more importantly, it's actually the second time he's done that in his, during his presidency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and, and that brings us to the issue here. What is happening here? Why is the U.S. working so hard to remain on what seems friendly terms with China? What's what's the strategy here? OK, well, I, I think the answer is partly to be had in the latest issue of Foreign Affairs magazine. This isn't a plug necessarily, but if you want to understand the thinking of the globalist establishment, particularly in the United States, but also in the broader so-called Western world. This is a magazine you want to, to read. And um, it's, it frequently has articles espousing the cause of internationalism and world government, all this. Mm. And in the latest issue, there appeared an interesting little article. And just it's put, essentially how yeah. a, a glimpse into how the globalists think. Precisely. So the article is written by one Ryan Haas, who is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, a, one of the key globalist organizations. The uh, it, article it, titled, What America Wants from China, right? Correct. What America Wants from China. And then the subtitle is particularly interesting. It says, a strategy to keep Beijing entangled in the world order. Mm. And among other things, the article says, uh, well, he, of course, he, he says, in effect, you know, in recent years, we've become estranged from China, but this isn't a good thing. And here is here is why. He, he says, 
uh, among other things, he, he, he says, um, preserving a functioning global system that includes China will not be simple or straightforward. Washington has grown increasingly ambivalent in recent years about upholding the existing system, which it played an outsized role in designing. And by system, he means the, the UN-centered global system that we often talk yes, about. This international this system. Sure, sure. That we are leading and a part of. Right. It, he continues, it cannot credibly keep China inside the tent if it, meaning the United States, is uncomfortable being there as well. On trade, global health, climate change, and arms control, mm. the United States has shown diminishing tolerance for accepting the requirements and limitations imposed by the current order. China will also seek to leverage its growing strength to revise elements of the existing system that it finds threatening to its illiberal form of governments. And he goes on to say, in effect, I, I read too much of this, but, you know, in, in essence, what he's saying is, is something, a point that we've made on this, this show before, which is that the chief sin of Xi Jinping and today's Chinese Communist Party is not that they're persecuting the Uyghur Muslims. It's not that they're persecuting Christians. It's not that they're Our actively organ harvesting. Yes, organ harvesting, preparing to invade Taiwan, uh, con conducting frequent bellicose actions against our ally, the Philippines. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're sending fentanyl to the United States in yeah. vast quantities. It's not that they unleashed a deadly pandemic on the world. None of these things really matter in the cold, cynical calculus yeah. of new world orderism. What does matter is that you know, Xi Jinping threatens to get to leave. Well, he's already off the reservation, so yeah. to speak. He doesn't want he wants a new world order, meaning a world government in effect, but one that is China centric, mm. not one that is anchored by the United States, the UK, the main Western powers, perhaps Japan. That's the issue. And, and by extension, incidentally, the same logic applies to Putin's Russia. Putin has also gone on record saying, yes, we we seek to overturn the existing world order and replace it with one in which we are the dominant power. Perhaps we in, in you know, in, in concert with the Chinese or something like that. So that's really what's going on here. And this article in, in, in foreign affairs, which we may assume faithfully represents the thinking of the majority of people who matter. And it in has the for decades, though. Sure. We've been it, watching these guys. Yeah, for the, the main thing is to is to ensure that China continues to be compliant with this global order, which was, after all, set up primarily at the instigation of American insiders mm -hmm. like Harry Dexter White and many other officials within the Roosevelt and, and Truman administration during and, and at the end of, of World War II. The United Nations itself is headquartered in the United States, mm -hmm. which is a significant fact. The Bretton Woods economic world order mm -hmm. okay economic financial world order is is centered on the continuance of the US dollar as the world's default currency so the united states is the indispensable country politically militarily economically and financially to the continuance of this you know nascent world government that's called a world order new world order that has been around since the you know the end of world war 2 yes. right and china now and to a lesser extent, Russia, with its adventure in Ukraine, threatened to upset the entire New World Order apple cart. And that's what's unacceptable. Yes. And I, I, I want to re-emphasize uh, that again. It's the U.S. is the center of this New World Order that they're seeking to build uh, because there's there's been some, some uh, various debate on that. I found it interesting because I read the same article we were talking about this uh, yesterday. 
And they were talking about how we can't isolate China because it hasn't worked for Iran. It hasn't worked when it comes to North Korea. It hasn't worked for other dictatorial uh, nations. What do you think of that? Well, that's a hard question to answer. Since the inception of the United States, we've always had diplomatic relations with illiberal regimes yeah. uh, to one degree or another. But the question is, uh, well, I mean, it, the situation with China is unique for several reasons. Number well, I would one, say that was one of the few accurate things, though. I, I, it sounds accurate, right? Because it hasn't worked with those nations. And if we were to isolate China, it's not like their human rights well, I, I don't think it's a question. It's, it's not like, well, but see, when you say it hasn't worked, that, that assumes that there's something utilitarian about it. Um, it worked for until the 1970s. Uh, China did its own thing, committed its internal cultural revolutions over. We had nothing to do with them. Mm. The situation with China is unique for several reasons. And one is, of course, that when we extended the olive branch to China, it came with the conditionality of repudiating the free country of Taiwan a state of affairs that persists to this day and has become the central mm. source of friction between these two superpowers, right? We know all about that. We don't have time to talk about that in detail right now, but, but suffice it to say. So that's one issue. The second issue is that unlike maybe some, um, you know, Middle Eastern poobah that we had relations with back in the, in the 18th century, China is actively seeking to destroy the United States. And not just in, in the old-fashioned way. It's doing so by ideological subversion and, and all the rest of this, this whole suite of sophisticated, you know, weapons yeah. that the Chinese Communist Party is, de is deploying against us. So for that reason, not isolating them, continuing to pretend that these circumstances don't exist, I think is fatuous in the extreme. Thank you, Steve. After this, a Louisiana legislator tells the FBI director that he's part of the most serious threat that Americans face. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back. The House Homeland Security Committee held a hearing Wednesday on threats to the homeland. FBI Director Christopher Wray said that Hamas poses a serious threat here at home. We cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. Hamas and other terrorists are certainly a clear and present danger, especially since our government opened wide our national borders. But is Hamas our most serious threat? Remember when Joe Biden singled out white supremacy as the most dangerous threat to the homeland? According to Congressman Clay Higgins of Louisiana, it's the actions and policies of our own government that are the primary threat. Here's what he said. That ultimately, Americans are quite capable of defending our own soil our own cultures and communities against foreign invasion or against armed oppression from within. 
however, is far more threatening to our republic if our own government facilitates criminal invasion, and it is incredibly threatening to our citizenry if our government's highest levels of law enforcement coordinate organized campaigns of weaponized oppression, oppression, harassment, investigation, arrest and prosecution, and imprisonment of free Americans. That, Mr. Chairman, is the primary threat our homeland indeed faces today. Congressman Higgins also reminded the FBI director that he asked him a year ago if he had confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters at the Capitol on January 6th. A year ago, Ray wouldn't answer the question. A year later, he still wouldn't. But the truth may be coming out anyway. During yesterday's hearing, Congressman Higgins showed Ray pictures of two ghost buses that Higgins said were filled with FBI agents dressed as Trump supporters. You know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, it's pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's a vehicle that's, that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here, they were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th. 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses Mr. are Chairman. painted completely white. These buses are nefarious in nature and were filled with FBI informants dressed as Trump supporters you, and you, deployed onto our Capitol on January 6th. You made, your you day made is your, coming, you Mr. Ray. Oh, Steve, did you hear that threat? Your day is coming. What do you think? Well, I like that term ghost buses, so I'm wondering if they refer to people inside such buses as ghost busters. Ah. But, um, you know, that's. The, but I don't doubt Mr. Ray would be familiar with that term either. So, yeah. anyway. This is the first I've heard of that. Um, it's not surprising. Uh, and you, you obviously, we wonder, what is Higgins talking about? What else do they have coming? Uh, I know that you're very impressed by Tough Talk. Uh, so your your hopes are high now that we're going to get more information and maybe um, we're going to hold the FBI more accountable, huh? I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> As we were talking about before we went on air, I'm tired of tough talk. I've been on this dreary orb almost 60 years, and I've seen plenty of tough talk, most of it emanating from the so-called right, from conservatives, from neoconservatives, from Republicans writ large and so forth, who are forever talking, perorating, mm. holding forth, and otherwise dilating upon what they're going to do someday to bring the budget under control, to hold malfeasance among wicked Democrats uh, accountable, and on and on and on. And somehow nothing ever seems to get done. I mean, you know, I would respectfully remind you and our audience that we heard people years ago talking about what we were going to do to Hillary Clinton, all the things she did as Secretary of State, blatant criminal actions in yeah. defiance of Congress, and Hillary Clinton's still out there in the talk show circuit. Still uh, not locked up. Still not locked up. <laughs> still hasn't paid a fine. Still hasn't appeared before any committee. Yeah. Uh, you not know. even an investigation. Sure. And and so, you know, and I, and I can't help but note that as in a seemingly in direct proportion as the evidence continues to accumulate by these these various well by the i guess the, the consolidated impeachment impeachment investigation against Biden and his his mm. his family 
we hear less and less about it. And it's not entirely because the mainstream news media has been quiet about it. I haven't seen congressmen, you know, holding forth online or anything else about how, you know, we're going to do Now we're hearing more. Well, we're going to see where the, the evidence leads and we'll make a decision pretty soon, ultimately. So what do we read in this? Biden's not going to get impeached, yeah. obviously. Okay, he's not going to be held accountable at all. And probably a lot of the charges against Hunter Biden are ultimately going to go away. It's not going to happen with Donald Trump. Okay, mm. and this is the difference between the so-called right, you know, which I include, you know, under that that expansive term, people like us who are interested in getting things done, who are principled defenders of the Constitution and who, given the chance, would truly cut government spending and and do some of the other things necessary to restore mm-hmm. you know our fair republic to its Reduce government. Okay. So, but the difference between us and them is that the democrats aren't about talk. They get when the done. democrats say, "Oh, we need to have a conversation about the democrats or the left in general," yeah. which nowadays pretty much is 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 is, is conspecific mm-hmm. with the uh, with with the democratic party. When they say, "We need to have a discussion." That's code word for Oh, we're not really want to talk. We want to distract you with a discussion while we're busy beavering away, implementing our, our, yeah. our agenda, be it through overt legislation, be it through the fourth branch of government, which is completely illegitimate, the regulatory branch, or be it through judicial fiat, be it, be it through street agitation or whatever other means, yeah. fair or foul, they can come up with. They're all about action. And that's why the Democrats and mm-hmm. the radical left own Washington, D.C., that's their home. Yeah. I want, I want to piggyback off something that Higgins said because he acknowledged that, okay, yes, I mean, we acknowledge that there's a threat of the coming over the borders. We have no idea who's coming through, but that does pose a serious threat. But it almost like it said like he's saying, and if he didn't, I'm going to say this. I think the biggest threat, like he may have said, is not what's coming over the border, but the most powerful government in the world. Is he like he said, it's like, look, look, it's one thing to have people come in and he's like the United States, Americans can take care of themselves, especially uh, it seems like uh, implied, especially when we have our government behind us. But when the most powerful government in the world is against its own people, that poses the most serious threat. And that's what we face. Okay, well, first of all, that's a tautology by nature. A powerful government is against its own people, first and foremost. That's the whole point of government power is to wield it you know, without accountability against its own, okay? Now, th- and this is indicative of, of the pathology that we're talking about, of the, of, of, of the degree of the mess that we're in. When people will say, and most people, if you ask people, well, who's the most powerful person in the world? They'll say, well, the U.S. president, okay? That was never meant to be the case. Mm, yes, and we brought this up, and we're going to sure. keep hammering and, and, that and, and point. And the same could be said of, of, of Congress and all the other instruments, but, but, but Washington has become the nerve center of world power. And that, it, that would have been anathema to America's founders. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being powerful and perhaps being secure, being uh, the, all these other things that the founders certainly desired of the United States, but becoming the de facto you know, mistress and dominatrix of the entire world, that is something that, with the possible yes. exception of Hamilton, they would have blanched But at. we didn't seem to mind, Americans in general, generations of Americans in general, didn't seem to mind until that government turned on them. Right. We didn't mind as long as that government was was was, was waging illegitimate war in, con- in, in countries whose names we can't pronounce against people whose skin is a different color, you know, in the Middle East or whatever, dropping bombs on them for who knows mm-hmm. why, you know, waging peace uh, in the name of world democracy or whatever nebulous goals they, they, right. they might profess. But now that power is being turned on us. Thank you, Steve. All right, folks. 
The New American just released our latest collector's edition bookazine, and it's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. Our polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other types of self-reliance. The authors are experts on their topics. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. Next up, they're laying the groundwork for digital IDs in Nebraska. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past and endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. All right, and we're back. Before we go to our next story, Steve, you wanted to add something else. Um, on yeah, the I just, story I just want to add, you know, regarding that initial point, okay, with, with, with FDR, Director Ray, and so forth, I'd like to respectfully remind our viewers and listeners that this is the same Christopher Ray who for months has been thumbing his nose at Congress, has been refusing congressional subpoenas, has been refusing to deliver documents that aren't even classified in the clear naked interest of protecting the Biden family. Mm-hmm. He's been doing this for months, and Congress has sputtered and blustered. Republicans in the House have sputtered and blustered. Well, if you don't do it, we're going to censor you anytime now. We're going to do this. We're going to hold you accountable. And of course, nothing, nothing has, happened. has happened. And and, and it continues So now, again, that's another, I'm, I'm less than impressed at yet another blather skeet in, 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 in the House saying, oh, your time is coming. Well, his time has been coming for an awful long time. Nothing's happened. And it, I don't blame him for sitting there serenely and thinking to himself, as he doubtless is, yeah, these people are all, are, are all talk. I, I wonder if he's also thinking, if I drag this out long enough, the Republicans are going to lose any power. The, of course the he is. The semblance of power they, they even have now, election's going to come and I don't have to well, worry they're about, about it. Well, they're about to reduce their majority by one when they kick out George Santos. That was announced this morning. It sounds like they're going to expel Santos from Congress. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever. Thanks, Steve. So lawmakers in Nebraska have created a state health information technology, or HIP board. The point of the HIP board is to collect people's health information. 
They say the information will go into centralized data and surveillance system that will be used by doctors to improve patient care. In 2020, during the height of COVID mania, Nebraska's legislature passed the Population Health Information Act, which paved the way for the HIP board. The board is made up of doctors and healthcare experts, and it oversees a huge regional data utility called Sync Health. Sync Health manages the health information of more than 5 million patients across the Midwest. This includes patient histories, physicals, vaccinations, medication histories, allergies, and troves of other personal information. Some, however, warn that this may lay the groundwork for digital IDs and digital currency. Stacy Scold is a board member of the Children's Health Defense Nebraska chapter. She said, quote, if you connect the dots, we've laid the groundwork for digital IDs and CBDC, and that's alarming. When you talk about CBDC and a social credit system, it seems far off, but it seems very near here and starting in a very specific way, end quote. The concerns are justified. Sync Health is a member of the Karen Alliance. The Karen Alliance is a global multi-sector nonprofit that works with government agencies like DHS and corporations like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Pfizer, and other technology heavyweights. The organization is devoted to developing global digital ID credentials, and it has partnered with the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, and the Vaccine Credentials Initiative. The Vaccine Credentials Initiative created the so-called smart health cards, which were used as vaccine passports during the pandemic in over 20 states. California vaccine rights attorney Greg Glaser warned that Nebraska serves as a testing ground for statewide health data harvesting. He said it was only a matter of time before the vax cards and other digital medical cards evolved into digital IDs. Independent journalist James Roguski said to Children's Health Defense that Nebraskans need to seek legal recourse by invoking the power of a referendum under Nebraska's constitution. Okay, Steve, so I was thinking it's like Nebraska? Really? Um, I was also thinking of that old uh, Albert Camus. Uh, he said... Albert Camus. Is it Camus? Yeah. I'm glad you... Like the cow. Okay. He said the welfare of the people has always been the alibi of tyrants. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, memes with this and whatnot. I couldn't help but think about that because they're always pitching what convenience, uh, even improved health care in the name of surveillance and control. At what point do people have to realize is this is going to cost us. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep sacrificing our liberties and everything in the name of convenience or even supposedly improved health care, which I don't I don't even buy that. Well, I think it goes to show historically why governments always tend to get bigger and bigger and bigger and more oppressive and more autocratic until finally they collapse and there's a revolution and people start all over again. And this time we're going to limit the power of government and we're we're not going to let our our kings become despots and or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, but yeah. You know, like because, it happened in 1776, well, well, huh? Because it's a problem because of course, you know, I mean one of the fundamental purposes of government is collective security. The idea that uh, you know, if if, if you're walking down the street alone and you're set upon by 20 guys, you got a problem. If you're walking down, down the street with 20 other guys and, you know, you, you have a much better chance. I mean, so collective defense is a mm. thing. It's a reality. If, yeah. if John Locke is to be believed, it was one of the original motivators which led people to associate form government in the first place by, by consent. The problem is, so, so, so government does have a legitimate role in providing security. Right. Um, but the question is, how do you define security? What 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 types of security are are acceptable in the purview of government? 
even with something like a pandemic, I mean, most people probably in the past when there were pandemics or epidemics, um, when, when smallpox was a thing, it was common for local governments to, to, to quarantine areas mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. And I mean, you could make an argument for that. Wow. It, it's a very tricky thing. And, and, and disease is a particularly difficult moral thing to deal with. The problem here is that there is an attempt to create a permanent regimentation of the health system and to mingle it with a system for for not only identification, but for tracking of movements. Uh, in China, for example, it really pioneered this whole thing of the, the they called them health QR codes that they had in China. And uh, ultimately, they ended up with two of them in China. One was was a, a, a code that you had to scan that showed where you'd been, where, whether you'd been outside of the city where you live, so it tracked your, your travel and movement. And the other showed what was, was for contact tracing, whether or not you'd mm, come into yeah. close, close proximity with someone else who was deemed, a, and if your health Q, QR code, which was green, turned yellow, that was problematic. If it turned red, it was really problematic. Typically, the guys in the white hazmat suits turned, came, and got you. came and got you. Yeah, sure. So, so, there were, so they had two of these. And uh, my understanding is that they've been more or less discontinued in, in, in China because of the immense inconvenience. But the, but the technology, which was pretty much pioneered by the Chinese in the early months of the COVID pandemic, and then was, was, was copied here in the United States and else, uh, elsewhere in the West to, to a limited degree. The technology stays. The experience stays. The, the idea that, wow, we actually can now use this digital technology to tr- literally track people's movements. Yeah. And we can centralize it so that if a person who's not allowed to go out of city X mm-hmm. leaves the city, we know about it. We can haul them off the bus or the train or whatever. It, it's, it's quite astonishing. And so I, I guess the issue is not so much when security is about legitimate protection from aggression and fraud and yeah. all these other things. It's probably at, at some level, anyway, whether local, state, or national, is a, a legitimate Acceptable purview of government. But when it's about control, which mm-hmm. it manifestly was for the most part during the COVID pandemic, yes, then it's that that's that's now the terrain of the despot, right? And that's where they want to go. They want to have this control over. Uh, they're going to build it here, and they're going to build it here, and they're going to build it here, and they're going to track everyone. I mean, we've already saw it. We saw what happened in. For instance, in Canada, who would have hmm. thought? Well, I guess we would have. We would have called that. But in Canada, they turned off their bank accounts. Well, let's be, you know, then the traditional idea of, of of government, which has always informed despots and monarchs, very stripe, is that you can't have security without control. And the great uh, innovation in the United States and some of the other you know, part of the free world is that well, actually, you to can have both. You can have well, you can have security without control. You can have security under conditions of individual liberty. Mm-hmm. And which, that, you know, but, but isn't that why we need these decentralized local uh, security system, local police departments, local health departments and whatnot that aren't necessarily connected? And so we have to say stop at some point, right? We have to say it's like... Oh, we've have, long since passed that point. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's otherwise, people have to realize, although these things may sound secure and convenient and whatever... It's going to cost us a whole lot more, and it's well, going to cost will. your children. So, so regarding the aforementioned you know, health, health controls in China, they were quickly used for political reasons as right. well. So, people, so they used those health QR codes to prevent people, for example, from going to protest because their, their mm. pensions were not being paid uh, out, all this yeah. stuff. They, they suddenly find they weren't allowed to travel because their health QR code was turned red by local officials. Right, and, and it's yeah. not above 
American authorities to do that to us. We We've abso- seen they what absolutely these people are capable would do it. of. Absolutely. They would do it tomorrow if they can, and they're laying the groundwork for us. So people take note. Thank you, Steve. Next up, Wisconsin legislator Ty Bodden tells us how he manages to obey the Constitution and how we can get others to do as well. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Join us in restoring this great nation. Wisconsin State Legislator Ty Bond is here to talk about how he sticks to the Constitution when performing his duty as a public servant. Hi, Ty. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah. By the way, I probably should point out that Ty is also a an employee of the John Birch Society. That's right. Um, we did lead off, or we may mention earlier, that you managed to get a perfect score in the last session. You better have, because you, yeah. <laughs> I was a you nervous. work on it, didn't you? <laughs> it was, uh, I had nothing to do with the Wisconsin scorecard. They gave it to my uh, uh, counterpart, Kyle. Oh, oh good. To, I'm glad you pointed it out. I, so you're not the one that did the Wisconsin nope, score. No, did not. I was like, when they said they were starting it, I'm like, okay, fingers yeah. crossed. We get a good score here. I, I'm glad we did that, though, because that, that seems to be a professional wedge yeah. separation there. And I've kept my colleagues, uh, Peter, Christian, and Lupin, what the legislature in Wisconsin's doing, because they've put out legislative alerts. They've, mm-hmm. I think they've put out other other mm-hmm. uh, information out there to let people know what's coming down the wire. Yeah. We're talking about all, a wide variety of issues, and... Uh, some of them we voted on. Some of them I said I'd let them know. Hey, we just voted on this. I don't know, might be one to consider for the scorecard. Uh, uh, didn't really use. Maybe use a couple of ones I kind of told them about, but the rest were uh, uh, just uh, our uh, research department did a good job just finding a bunch of different votes. So it's well, perfect. Yeah, it's, I, I mean I'm seeing here. The first vote apparently is, a, uh, I guess it's an assembly vote, taxpayer money for professional baseball. And you yeah. voted no. What the heck is that about? Milwaukee Brewers Stadium. The lease is up in Wisconsin for mm. American Family Field. They came up with the deal. Uh, I'd say Representative Brooks, Senator Fine, they actually made the best out of the situation that they possibly could. Mm. Unfortunately, taxpayers in Wisconsin, back when the uh, Brewers Stadium was originally built, mm. Why is it, it made Wisconsin the owners? The taxpayers are the owners of that oh, stadium. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that was my next question. Like this how- deal to me did not, uh, did not do the taxpayers justice. Mm. I don't think taxpayers should be on the hook for uh, a billionaire professional sports team owner. Yeah, um, yeah. To th- fund th- their th- stadium it, and it seems totally off because uh, the the Brewers. I mean, they won the what? Didn't they win? The, no, they haven't won in a they've while. They've never won. Yeah. No, oh, okay. they've never won a World Series. But anyway, so. it's a it's a baseball team, and they have plenty of money, I'd imagine. But what would it take to get? So it sounds like they need to take ownership, though, of their stadium first, right? That's kind of what you know. We had some talk about is hopefully hand the stadium over to the owners. Let's give it to them. Let's keep it off. Keep yeah. it away from the taxpayers. Let would the, they have to buy it from the from? from I would have been okay with just giving it to them because I don't I don't see any. Constitution, constitutional provision where mm-hmm. taxpayers should be on the hook for funding a baseball stadium. So the owner, um, it's it, it. I don't think the owner took up on the offer because it probably wasn't a smart 
Mm. Uh, decision to do so. financial decision for him yeah, so, so why not stick the taxpayers with it instead yeah the yeah. deal went through um and uh we'll have the brewers here until 2050 so yeah. if you like the brewers uh i like the brewers actually i'm a diehard milwaukee brewer fan baseball fan and yeah. i still couldn't uh, yeah, get to a yes on it so so uh, maybe a lot of folks may not know but uh wisconsin actually has a fair share of republican legislators the legislation is led by republicans uh, how are you the only one who got a, a perfect score? How did everyone else do? I mean, there's, I, I love, my colleagues are great. I have a lot of great colleagues, a lot of well-intentioned colleagues, a lot of, I would do mm-hmm. anything for a lot of them. I'd go support them in their races. So I'm not here to attack You're not any of my Good. colleagues, but there are some, there are some solid ones I love working with that are, um, that have good scores as well. So yeah. I, um, I just have to be the only 100, but yeah. there are others I, I consider. Would some... you would you say that part of the reason that you are? I mean, it's your your job. I mean, you're very <laughs> well informed, educated. Because where I'm leading with this is this is where supporters come in, uh, birchers come in. We offer these, and we're going to keep talking about, about this. But you can get these at jbs.org. You can mm-hmm. get these cards at thenewamerican.com, and they are so crucial. To helping legislators learn, because would you would you say that perhaps part of the reason that may, they may not all have perfect scores or as good scores is simply because they may not be aware of some of the constitutional position? Yes, a lot of people vote based on what they think is uh, what they think is a good idea, what would make people happy, what. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always mean you're following the Constitution. What's popular, maybe? What's popular is a big thing. I mean, you got that with uh, the ConCon and other other issues when they're when they're popular at the time. You get you're more inclined to act on it and be in support of it. So, but uh, I, I being here and being around John Birch Society and the New American just really education is is solution here, and you learn. Um, you learn a lot about the issues, and I think if we had all legislate, legislators uh, more in tune with us and other constitutional-like groups, I think you'd have change in scorecards and different different uh, different ways people would vote on bills. I think uh, the one, now that we're doing these, this is pick, these scorecards are um, really becoming popular in other states. It's affecting scores in other states, and it's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Again, I'm going to keep playing, and we're going to plug these so much because, again, you could go to jbs.org. I think it says Freedom Index up there. Yep. Uh, Or if you go to thenewamerican.com, again, Freedom Index, and we have state and federal, and you can see how how good or badly— uh, every legislator is adhering, and and one of the things we emphasize is that a lot of times they just need to learn uh, what the constitutional position is. We're actually another thing that we're doing is I don't know if you've heard, but uh, we started this week. We started a promotional where we give off, we we take off half off of the New American magazine when you buy a legislator uh, a, a gift subscription, but it doesn't have to be necessarily it's a good deal. You, That's a yeah, good idea. Half off. Yeah. But you you would just have to call eight hundred seven two seven eight seven eight three and if you if you cite the promo code, what is it, half off law, then you can get it's so important to help these uh, legislators uh, understand, right? I know some legislators that subscribe to the New American. So and there's mm-hmm. there's some really sound legislators, so I think I think you encourage anyone to buy them for their uh, their elected officials and see if anything changes over the the the, the years, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You, you had mentioned uh, Ted. Uh, no, you hadn't mentioned Ted Cruz. You had mentioned Milwaukee. Uh, I bring this up because um, 
there was a picture one of our of, of supporters or members. I'm not sure which it was, but he had run into Ted Cruz. Uh, in Milwaukee, and he showed him his scorecard. <laughs> and uh, Ted Cruz, I, don't, I think his score is around the 80s, maybe top got, 70s. He, this is up there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not terrible. No, it could be better. Uh, but it's so anyway. The uh, the person showed him, and he said, "Hey, here's your scorecard." And I guess he pointed out to maybe missed votes where he wasn't exactly aligned with the Constitution. And according to the person who was talking to Ted Cruz, uh, Mr. Uh, Senator Cruz's response was. I need to improve. I can do better. And I've heard that similar story with some of these state scorecards and uh, people printing them out, handing to the legislators and uh, telling the people that, that hand that to them. Uh, yeah, I got uh, maybe uh, more work to do here. Yeah. So, yeah. Good news there. Are, are you helping? Uh, are you talking to some of your colleagues too? Are you passing these out? Are you helping? Are you helping them? Uh, I haven't handed out any of these. I think there will come a time where there will be some JBS members coming down to the Capitol and probably going office to office. And hey, here's the scorecard for the legislator. Let us know if you have any questions. And I think I think that could uh, hopefully that would change some minds. Yeah. Now you had mentioned that we're we're starting already to see some of the results of the state sto- uh, scorecards that that we I think we we launched what less than a year ago. April. Uh, yeah. April. Over a year, April of last year. Oh, okay, so, yeah. It was a massive, massive investment on, on our part. Yeah. Uh, what, what have you seen? Getting going was a learning process for me, uh, my counterpart, Kyle. It uh, There was some yeah learning curves for sure, mm-hmm. but now we're like, we are rolling. definitely rolling. You're in we, momentum, know, huh? we know we're doing. Actually, it's taking a little bit longer the second go around because we're looking for some... We look, we're looking more in depth into some of these bills. On surface, some of these ideas are good, but sometimes you, you slip something in there that makes it awful or bad, and then you just can't include it. So uh, it's been a big uh, learning process there, but I think as we go on, uh, we learn more and more. We'll get better and better, and the scorecards are just going to yeah. be better. I mean, you guys are doing a terrific job. So before we sign off here, again, jbs.org. Go under Freedom uh, Freedom Index. You can find any uh, legislator or the newamerican.com Freedom Index. Wherever you go, the Freedom Index is there. It's a m- super awesome tool. And thank you. Thank you for obeying the Constitution, <laughs> Ty. And we look forward to having you back. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And if you haven't already, get a subscription to the print edition. You can do that at thenewamerican.com. Enjoy the rest of your day and join us tomorrow for another episode.